Hey, well, what's up, everyone? How are we? Is there a football game on or something today? <laughs> yeah. Um, happy opening day, Seahawks fans. Okay, I see the enthusiasm. I see the jersey. Super excited for all of you. Just want all of you to know that at the beginning of every like fall, our staff team sits down and we look Sunday by Sunday to see when the Seahawks are going to be playing at 10 a.m. Okay. We see this, and I see that next Sunday, the Seahawks have a game at 10 a.m., okay? So all of you are presented with a choice, okay? You can come to church, or you can watch the Seahawks game, okay? Listen, football is temporary, but your soul is forever, all right? <laughs> now listen, if you choose to watch the Seahawks game, okay, they are playing the Detroit Lions, all right? Uh, oh my gosh. <laughs> Leave, Okay. Um, I am a Chicago Bears fan, and let me tell you, after living in Michigan for seven years, there is nothing more insufferable than Detroit Lions fans that think their team is good, okay? <laughs> I, 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 I can't go on Facebook right now. It, it, is, it is unbelievable. So if you, listen, if you, if you happen to stay home, you better pray to the God of heaven that, that the Seahawks beat the Lions, okay? Because if you miss church and the Seahawks lose, Brian talked about the unforgivable sin last week. I'm just saying, all right? Okay, enough of that. Great to be with all of you this morning. My name's Ryan. I'm the lead pastor here for those that are new or visiting with us today. Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and get those out right now and turn to the book of, uh, not Mark, Nehemiah. We are pressing pause on our study in Mark, and we are jumping into Nehemiah. Nehemiah is in the Old Testament, also known as the Hebrew Scriptures. If you have a hard copy of God's Word, just kind of open it up to the middle and make your way to the left, and you'll find it. If you're using a Bible on your phone, it's just the book that's called Nehemiah. Go there. Um, we're going to start right at the beginning, chapter 1, verse 1. But before we do that, I was just wondering this week, I was thinking about this this week, have you ever found yourself in a situation where on the surface everything seemed good and normal and easygoing, but like deep down inside in that situation you could feel like something was off, or like something was a little messed up? Like maybe, maybe it was a situation at work recently and you were with your coworkers and it was like a meeting or a gathering and everyone was polite and you were taking care of business, but the entire meeting, it was like you had to walk on eggshells the entire time. Uh, something weird, something off in the meeting. Or, or maybe it was like a recent family gathering and you were with family and there was kind of like superficial conversation and laughter and food and all of that stuff, but you could just tell that like at any moment the facade might drop and the gloves would come off, and people's true colors would start to show. You're like, that's like every family gathering for me. Nothing's new there. That's how it always is for me. But you just felt like something was off. And maybe neither of those uh, circumstances, those examples, resonate with you at all. But maybe you felt like something is off internally, like inside of you. And, and, and you look at your life, and while your life is far from perfect, like, you have everything you need and then some, but there's just something inside of you that feels like something is off, like something isn't right, like something is broken, something is missing. Have you felt that recently? Have you felt like something seems off? I ask this question this morning, I give these examples because if you're feeling this way or have felt this way over the last few months, over the last few years, I want you to know that you're not alone. You're not crazy. You're not being overly sensitive. Something 
is off. Something is not working. Something is broken. I sense this. I think many sense this individually and in our lives collectively. And as I've been thinking about this, as I've been processing this, as I've been praying over this for the last few months, I recently came across this article titled, The Misunderstood Reason Millions of Americans Stopped Going to Church. That's not the kind of article you want to see when your job is pastor, okay? (laughs) And in this article, he opens up with this pretty shocking statistic. Let me read this. 40 million Americans have stopped attending church in the past 25 years. That's something like 12% of the population, and it represents the largest concentrated change in church attendance in American history. These political scientists did a survey of like 7,000 Americans to figure out why this shift was happening. And these writers recently came out with this book released just a few weeks ago called The Great Dechurching, which again is not a book you want to see released if your job is pastor. And in this book, they, they write about the reasons why people are walking away from church And they note that a a core reason is because of the religious abuse and, and more general moral corruption in churches. It's driven people away, and this makes sense. The toleration of abuse and moral corruption amongst the people of God, especially the leaders of the people of God, is is abhorrent, and it should not be tolerated. It must be dealt with. But here's what I found interesting and what these guys wrote about in this book, The Great Dechurching, they found that a much larger share of those who left church left church for much less salacious and crazy reasons. The book suggests that the defining problem driving out most people who leave the church is is just the way American life is in the 21st century. And, And they go on and they say this, listen, Contemporary America simply isn't set up to promote mutuality, care, or common life. Rather, it is defined to maximize individual accomplishment as defined by professional or financial success. Such a system leaves precious little time or energy for forms of community, listen, that don't contribute to one's own professional life or as one ages, the professional prospects of one's children. Workism reigns in America. And because of it, community in America and religious community included is a math problem that just doesn't add up. Does that resonate with some of you? Do you sense that? Do you feel that in your own lives? Do you feel that in our own community sometimes? Simply put, the the reason many are stepping away from church is that the culturally dominant script in our country demands that we make a choice. And we only have so many hours in our week and increasingly those hours are consumed by the demands of modern life. And if we are not careful, slowly but surely, the demands of our professional lives and, and many other concerns that seem important to us, even with the best of intentions, will begin to erode at some of the most important aspects of what make us human beings designed in the image of God. And I believe that this is ultimately what feels so off for so many of us. 
It's not that people are walking away from church, but listen, here's what it is. It's that we've lost connection with what gives our lives true meaning and true purpose. That's what's beginning to feel off. We feel increasingly disconnected from God, and we feel increasingly disconnected from one another. Mark Sayers, he's a pastor in Australia. In his book, Reappearing Church, he writes this, that in the face of this cultural challenge, our programs, our smarts, our resources, our money, our communications, our skills, our education, they're not gonna cut it anymore. Much of the Western church is operating on the kinetic forward motion of previous moves of God, lounging on a platform built by the service and ministry of past and passing generations. However, listen, the fuel tank is approaching empty. We are running on fumes, church. And so what do we do? What do we do? We, we, we have a choice. We can throw our hands up in despair. We can stick our heads in the sand. We can ignore a warning like this. We can ignore the warning that we feel and continue on and do our own thing and assume that that's someone else's problem. Or, or what if? What if we, re- re- we reframe what's happening in our current cultural climate right now, not as an obstacle stopping us, but as an opportunity to take advantage of? What if we acknowledge that so many of the things that we're pursuing after are not life-giving, but they're in fact life-taking, and with nothing and no one to turn to but God, we as a people, we individually, in our weakness and in our weariness, begin to move back toward God and humble ourselves before him and begin to experience his power thunder forth in our community? What if this moment in our cultural uh, uh, season is only a crisis if we ignore God's call on our lives toward renewal? Because Arbor, this is what I believe God is wanting for us. This is where I believe God is leading us to a season of renewal. Church, we need renewal. We need renewal in our lives individually. We need it as a community. What is renewal? Well, here's one definition of renewal. Simply put, it's this. It's the refreshment, the release, and the advancement that individuals, groups, churches, and cultures experience when they are realigned with God's presence. Listen, that's what I want personally for me. That's what I want for each and every one of you. That's what I want for our church I want us to realign ourselves with the presence of God so that we would experience his refreshment, his release, the advancement we truly desire. But listen, this, this idea of renewal, it, ju- it doesn't just happen. You, you can't just hear about this idea and be like, man, that sounds great, I want that, and then all of a sudden it just happens. You can't order it on Amazon and it's here two days later. It doesn't work like that. We're not going to experience renewal by following the same patterns of life and ministry that are not delivering renewal. Something has to change. And so listen, this is why we're pressing pause on our study in Mark and we're jumping into Nehemiah here. We are going to look at and learn from Nehemiah because I believe that in this ancient story here in the Hebrew scriptures, we find for ourselves a roadmap to renewal in the life of Nehemiah. At the very beginning, we meet this guy 
His name's Nehemiah, regular, ordinary dude, regular person, not a priest, not a prophet, not a king, not a pastor, nothing like that. He is a man who has spent his life in captivity. He's a man who spent his life in exile. He has only known this in his life. He is an ordinary guy, a foreigner living in a foreign land, serving a foreign king as a cupbearer, living his regular, ordinary, routine life until one day, one day everything changes. Verse one, Nehemiah chapter one, follow along with me. These are the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, So it happened that in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, I was in Susa, the citadel. Hanani, who was one of my relatives, along with some of the men from Judah, came to me. And I asked them about the Jews who had escaped and had survived the exile and about Jerusalem. And so so again, Nehemiah is going about his business, his routine, his regular everyday life. It's just another day when all of a sudden a relative, uh, this guy named Hanani, interrupts and he, he, he meets with Nehemiah. And Nehemiah says it's on the 20th day of the month of Kislev, which would have been like early December. And Nehemiah is just doing his job. He's bearing the cup. He's bringing that to the king. He's doing his thing. When he asks Hanani, he asks him, how are things going back in the home country? How are the people doing there? Are they doing okay? Are they thriving? Are they flourishing? Are they doing well? And the reason Nehemiah would have asked this was because 140 years previous to this moment, the Babylonians under the rule of evil King Nebuchadnezzar came into Jerusalem, destroyed their city, destroyed their lives, and destroyed their entire way of living, their culture. And it took them into captivity for hundreds of years. And so you can imagine that the Jewish people would have felt demoralized. They would have felt hopeless. And so Nehemiah, he's asking for an update. He's like, I know some people went back there. How's that going? Is it on the upswing? But the news isn't good. Look at verse three. Hanani says, the remnant that remains from the exile there in the province are experiencing considerable adversity considerable reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem lies breached. It is collapsed. It's rubble. And its gates have been burned down. And so you see, things are not good. In in like a way more intense way than my examples earlier, something was off. Something was broken. Something wasn't quite right. And listen, at this point, Nehemiah, he's presented with a choice. He can throw his hands up in despair and just be like, you know what? Man, that is not the news I wanted to hear. It distresses me to hear that news, but what am I going to do? I'm in Susa. I'm in the middle of the Assyrian Empire. I've actually never been to Jerusalem. I have no idea what to do. That's someone else's problem. Or he can do something about it. In our current cultural context, this is the question each and every one of us are faced with in this room. We can go on and continue to watch whatever it is that breaks our heart. Maybe a hurting situation with a loved one, maybe a broken situation at work. work. Maybe it's watching friends and family members walk away from following Jesus. I don't know what it is. You can watch these things happen from afar and you can allow these things to increasingly cause your soul to grow disquieted about that situation or... Or hear this, 
you can do something about it. But what do you do? What do we do about the things that break our hearts? What do we do about the brokenness we see outside of the walls of our church? What do we do about what we see in our own church, in our own lives, a desire for more? What do we do? Here's what we do. We start, we start by making space for renewal. We start by making space for renewal. But how do we do that? Well, here's what I want to do. I want to give you three thoughts that we see here at the beginning of Nehemiah as to how we might be able to make space for renewal. And here's the first thing Nehemiah does. And this might be the space that you're in right now. Look at verse four. When I heard these things, I sat down abruptly crying and mourning for several days. And so listen, Nehemiah, he hears the bad news. What's the first thing he does? Does he jump on Google and search for like, how do I get to Jerusalem and rebuild a wall? Does he gather together the smartest people he knows in Assyria to be like, let's come up with this great plan and we'll go and we'll fix it? Does he do either of those things? No, he doesn't do either of those things. He does something that's deeply counterintuitive to our modern minds that are so fixated on efficiency and programs and planning. He, he stops everything and he, ju- he just weeps. He just cries. He mourns. He grieves for days. Listen, if, if we want to experience renewal in our lives, like personally and collectively as a church, then we first must stop and weep. We make space for renewal when we stop and weep. This is the first thing we have to do. Just stop, sit down, don't, don't pass go, don't collect $200. Just like where you're at, stop. Let the brokenness of what you're seeing, the brokenness of what you're feeling, the injustice of what you see, the hurting that you see, that thing that in your life, man, that just feels off right now, just let it break your heart. Feel the weight of it. Weep over it. Mourn over that thing. You know what I think is so interesting to me about Nehemiah's initial response here is where he was when he responded this way. He was like a thousand miles away from a capital that he had never been in before in his life. And remember, Nehemiah's life would have been pretty freaking good. He was like drinking the king's wine. Now, like the risk was it was poison sometimes, right? But he was drinking the king's wine. He was eating the king's food. He would have been watching TV on the king's like 4K television. He probably had like a nice sleep number bed or something like that. Probably took selfies once in a while of like, hey, I'm serving the king. Hashtag blessed or something. I don't know. Like he was, the guy was living a completely comfortable life. And I don't know about you, but sometimes in my own comfort, I can just be like scrolling on my phone, or I can get an email, and I can get some pretty bad news. Pretty bad news, and maybe it's someone thousands of miles away, maybe it's someone else's life that I know, but it's not me, and I see it, and I'm like, man, that, that really sucks. But I don't do anything about it. I may, I'll pray about it, maybe, but there's part of me, and maybe you, maybe you can identify with this, there's part of me that like sometimes refuses to let that brokenness into my heart. And so Nehemiah, when he heard this news, again, he had a choice. He had a choice to let the bad news in, not just to his head, but but to his heart as well, to the point where it bothered him, 
to the point where it deeply disturbed him, to the point where it created inside of him what we're gonna call holy discontentment. Holy discontentment. And what is that? What is holy discontentment? Well, it's the first step in the process of renewal. It is a deep dissatisfaction with the low state of our faith, the church, and the culture. And this is the beginning of a hunger for something new. It's a hunger for renewal. It's a hunger for renewal in our world where we begin to see and begin to perceive the injustices and the brokenness around us in our world and they become painfully real to us. We no longer live in a bubble but the brokenness and lostness around us becomes painfully real to us. But not just that, it's also a hunger for renewal in our church a hunger for renewal in our church. And it's not in this kind of critical, nitpicking way where I was like, man, I wish the pastor was like this, or, or I, I wish the music wasn't so loud, or I wish it was louder, or I wish the, it, it's more of like a, a desire, a deep desire to see God move in power among his people. And, and it's not just that, but it's also a hunger for renewal in our own lives. Where we're not just pointing the finger at people over there, and man, they're the problem with this world, or they're the problem with this church, but, but, but we begin to see our own inadequacy more clearly and come to terms with the reality that the renewal we seek out there must first begin in here, right? Instead of falling, though, into a place of like self-condemnation in that moment or, or paralysis by analysis, in that moment, we begin to humbly cry out to God to change us individually because that's where renewal begins. Renewal doesn't begin with a program or planning. Renewal begins in our hearts. Note this, personal renewal precedes corporate renewal personal renewal, before we can experience renewal as a church or as a community, it must start in our hearts individually. Again, Mark Sayers in his book, Reappearing Church, writes, writes this, trace renewal back to its origins and you will inevitably find a person or handful of people moved by God, people who took on a renewal process that first changed them before it changed others. Almost always, this renewal will occur in hidden places of obscurity, in a period of isolation, in which deep roots are grown for the influence that is to come, and resilience and perseverance built for the resulting, inevitable, very real challenges. Hear this, before reviving and renewing, before the reviving and renewing work that existed in Jerusalem empowered by the Spirit of God among the people of God, that renewing work had to start in the heart of a person and it started in the heart of an ordinary guy named Nehemiah. That's where it began. And how did he begin to make space for this renewing work? He stopped and he wept. But he didn't stop there. He then did this, and, and we must do the same. Here's the next thing he does. We must fall down and pray. We must fall down and pray. If we want to begin to see renewal in our lives and in our church and in our world, this is the next thing we must do. We must fall down and pray. Nehemiah says this in verse four. I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Church, listen, if, if it's big enough for us to cry about, if it's big enough for us to weep about, it's big enough for us to, to pray about it. Yeah. 
And, and we might think like, we, we have this situation that breaks our hearts and it, and it hurts us and we long to see God move and change something in that situation and we might think, well, well, well all, 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 I, all I can do about it is pray? Like that's all I can do is just you know, shoot up some thoughts and prayers and that, that's all I can do in this moment? Do, do we understand how insulting that is to the all-powerful God of heaven to hear a comment like that? I mean, just imagine God in heaven hearing something like that and being like, oh, all you can do is pray? All you can do is pray to the all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present God. All you can do is pray to the all things are possible through me, God. That's all you can do? Yeah, I, I guess, I guess you, you really are in a tough spot. Listen, if we call upon the power of God in prayer, we always have the advantage. When we go with God, we will always have the advantage. And so Nehemiah cries out and he prays and his prayer goes on in verse five. And he says this, please, O Lord God of heaven, great and awesome God who keeps his loving covenant with those who love him and obey his commandments. May your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant that I am praying to you today throughout both day and night on behalf of your servants, the Israelites. And if you continue to read on in this prayer, he goes on and he, he confesses his own sin, he confesses the sin of his people, and then he reminds God of God's promises and his faithfulness, and nowhere in this prayer is he like, man, those evil Babylonians, those evil Assyrians, man, he starts with himself and works his way out to the people of God, asking God to move asking God to bring renewal. Listen, church, if the first phase of the the renewal process is holy discontentment, then the next phase is the season of preparation. A season of preparation, a season in our lives individually and corporately as a church where God begins to move in the hearts of those he wishes to fill with his presence. And if you're feeling like something is off, If there's something that you see that breaks your heart, it is broken, something that is missing, listen, ultimately this is it. This is what's missing in our lives right now. The deepest desire of your heart, whether you understand it or not, is to experience and be enraptured with the presence of God. That's the deepest desire of all of our hearts and we will find this through consistent and persistent prayer. Again, Mark Sayers, he writes, that after holy discontentment, the next step forward in pursuing renewal is is not a program of renewal, nor a campaign for change. Instead, it is lived in the hidden places, in obscurity, often drenched with tears, built on late nights and early mornings, quiet spaces with his spirit and with his word, calling out for God to first begin with us. When's the last time you were there? For many of us, maybe most of us, it's been months, it's been years, maybe it's been never. So church, this is what I wanna invite you into right now. A season of mourning, weeping, fasting, and praying. Individually, on your own, in the quietness of your homes, and also together as a church. Would we band together to seek renewal in our lives, in our community, in our church, through prayer, through prayer? 
And many of you might not know this, but each and every week we have a group of people who faithfully gather together every Wednesday morning at 9.30 a.m. to 10.30 a.m. to pray. And I would invite all of you to come out to that and pray. But I know for some of you, you've got busy schedules and you've got jobs and you've got things going on which is why I'm going to be hosting another hour of prayer on Wednesday mornings from 7 a.m. to 8 a.m., okay? And I want to invite you to those things. Where do we pray together as a church family? Many of you might not know that we have a little room over on the corner of the building over there that has typically been called the two men and a truck room. And it is it is creatively called that because the business Two Men in a Truck used to occupy that space until we began to lease that space. But here's what I want to say right now, okay? You're here for a very exciting announcement, right? No longer is that room to be called Two Men, okay? Our church, our staff, has done a pretty good job of cleaning some stuff up in there. It's not perfect yet, okay? It's not perfect. But from now on, we're going to creatively call that room the prayer room, Okay? And every, every, listen, every Wednesday morning, 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. and 9.30 a.m. to 10.30 a.m., that room is going to be open and I'm going to be there and I'm praying that others are going to be there and we are going to be on our faces seeking God for a renewal in our lives individually and in our church and in our community, okay? That's what we're going to be going after. We're going to be seeking God for renewal. This is what Nehemiah did. He wept, he fasted, he prayed. Even before he went to the king with his request, like he did a thousand times before as cupbearer, he prayed this. Look at verse 11. He talks to God about the king and he says, please, Lord, listen attentively to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who take pleasure in showing respect to your name. Grant your servant success today and show compassion to me in the presence of this man. Here's one thing we're going to see throughout the book of Nehemiah. We're not going to look at all of it. I'd highly encourage you to read the entire book, but what we see in the book of Nehemiah is Nehemiah, he prays 12 different times. And that's what we have recorded. Nehemiah probably played hundreds, if not thousands of times. He is a man of prayer. We see it at the beginning of the story right here. You see it throughout the middle of the story. And the last thing we find Nehemiah doing at the end of his book is he is praying. And we're going to see in the upcoming weeks that Nehemiah, listen, he is a leadership genius. He's a planner. He strategizes. He thinks through things. But, but above all, first and foremost, Nehemiah is a faith-filled person who is going before God in everything, first with prayer. He falls down and he prays before he does anything else. So how do we make space for a renewal? Listen, you open up your heart. You let the things that break God's heart break your heart and you stop and you weep. Then at some point, you can't take that anymore. You fall down and you pray. And then once your heart's been broken, once you've sought the wisdom and goodness of God, the last thing that you do is you begin to get up and you move. You get up and you move. Nehemiah, in the story here, he takes his little cup or big cup, I don't know how big the wine cup was, but he takes that cup and he goes to the king Again, like he's done a thousand times before, but this time is different. His heart is heavy. His heart is weighed down with the news and nervous about making this request to journey from Susa all the way to Jerusalem. And in verse four of chapter two, the king notices this. And he says to Nehemiah, he says, what is it you are seeking? 
And then Nehemiah, Nehemiah, he throws up like a quick flare prayer. You ever done that before where you're like in a tough situation and you're like, God, please help me. And he says this, then I quickly prayed to the God of heaven and said to the king, this is, this is do or die time right now. He said, if the king is so inclined and if your servant has found favor in your sight, dispatch me to Judah, to the city with the graves of my ancestors so that I can rebuild it. My people are hopeless. They're hurting. The, the, the city's in ruin, and, and, and I, I can't just sit back and do nothing about it. Somebody has got to do something, and, and that somebody is gonna be me. Get up and move. Get up and move. And this morning, I, I, I don't know who this, I don't know who this message is really resonating with today, but I know that there's someone here today and something bothers you. Something breaks your heart, and for the longest time, you've been trying to keep that thing at arm's length. You've just kind of been allowing that thing to exist out there. You understand it. You've let it into your head, but you haven't let it into your heart. But now you're gonna let it in. You're gonna feel that pain. You're gonna let that pain overwhelm you. You're gonna let that burden weigh upon you, and and you're gonna stop. You're gonna cry. You're gonna weep over that thing. But you're not gonna stop there. You're gonna find a quiet space and you're gonna begin to pray about it. You're gonna begin to seek God about this thing. You're gonna beckon him to to move in power, to bring renewal into your life and into that situation. And then at some point in that process, I promise you, God in his wisdom and in his goodness and in his strength is going to compel you by faith to get up and move. And you might hear that and you might feel like, I think that might be me, but like you start to worry and wonder and you're like, who am I to do that? I'm not, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a spiritual leader, I'm not a leader in this church, I have no experience. Uh, God, God certainly wouldn't want, uh, listen, you don't have to be appointed by man if you are anointed by God. You don't. You don't have to be chosen by the people around you. You don't have to be elected by some committee. Listen, If God prompts your heart, if God stirs your heart, if God gives you a burden, you just step into it. You trust him and you watch him act. Feel the presence of God stirring in you to do something because perhaps you, like Nehemiah, just this ordinary guy in this story and every other extent are chosen by God to do something, to step into that burden and to begin to make space for renewal, not just in in your life, but in our church and in our community, where you see hurt, where you see brokenness. So how do we make space for renewal? We, we, we stop and we weep. We fall down and we pray, but then eventually we get up and move. That's how we begin to make space for renewal because church, listen, in our time right now, this is what we need. We need renewal. Can you stand with me as I pray? Father in heaven, this is what we long for. This is what we need. We need renewal in our time. We need renewal in our lives. Lord, we know that it's not gonna come about by some program or some campaign. God, you have to first move in our hearts. And so God, I pray for the individuals today whose hearts were deeply stirred by what your word had for them this morning. God, would you stir them to stop and and, and let down their own walls
who experience the things that deeply hurt their hearts and break their hearts. God, I pray that the things that break our hearts would truly be the things that break your heart. And Lord, as our hearts mourn and weep over those things, maybe it's loved ones who have been walking away from you. Maybe it's a desire to experience a fresh move of your presence in the midst of your people here. And God, maybe it's just a lostness in in our own lives where we're like, God, where are you? And we felt like you've been silent for too long. But Lord, I pray that we, we would be faithful. God, would you give us your strength to be faithful, to seek you out in prayer, because that's how renewal starts. Renewal doesn't start with some big campaign. God, it starts in the quietness of our own hearts through consistent and persistent prayer, seeking you out day after day, night after night, longing for you to move. God, we wanna be realigned and refreshed with your presence, God. And Lord, I pray that you would raise people up in this church to get up and move and do incredible things for your glory, Lord. And that this coming year as a church, God, would be our best year yet that we would experience a move of you like we haven't in years, Lord. We love you, God. But I pray for the hearts that, that really, that this just kind of fell flat on. The hearts that have been hardened to you, Lord. I, I know what it's like to be there, God. I pray that you would soften their hearts. Lord, that you would communicate to them that you love them deeply, that you care for them deeply, and you long for them to encounter and experience your presence. God, that's what we want to be satisfied by. We thank you for meeting with us here today. We thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing in our midst. We love you. We trust you. We place our faith in you this morning, and we pray this all in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, we don't have a closing song today because we are going to spend a little time connecting out in the lobby. So before, listen, before you head out there and grab your kids, would you just spend some time in the lobby? We would love for you to sign up. Listen, I know that like the call to like do something for the Lord might be really big. There's some really simple steps of faith that you can take out there and, and be a part of kids ministry or serve on the coffee team. But if not, listen, I think there are treats and coffee. Just hang out for a little bit. Let's just spend some time. Uh, the Seahawks game doesn't start till 1.30, so you've got some time. All right? Okay. Love you all. We'll see you next week. God bless.